All right, so everybody should have content in front of them. All right, so last, uh, last week, and again, on the books, just with what's in front of you, uh, again, is way more information than what we're going to go over tonight. The idea is for you to be able to uh, jump in uh, afterwards. If there's anything that you want to look into a little bit deeper, uh, that information should be in the book. It, you can use the book like a study guide. You can use it. You want to wake up in the morning with your Bible and go through it. Uh, use it as a devotional or whatever, or study guide. Use it however you want. There's way more in here than what we're going to go through tonight, but uh, just gives you kind of a jumping off uh, point. So don't try and just follow along with every little detail. It'll give you a headache. Um, but I want to go, uh, we, we, I introduced this last week. We're talking about this whole uh, four weeks. We're talking about tearing down strongholds. And this week, we're going to get into the definition of what a of what a stronghold is. We're going to start to kind of understand how those develop. How is it that we get into places where we're in that, uh, where we're in that battle? But last week we talked a lot about uh, just, uh, just acknowledging the fact uh, that it's pretty much a universal uh, human experience uh, that we're going to face strongholds at different points uh, in our life. As, as men, we're going we're gonna to come up against challenges and, and strongholds that we're going to have to move through and overcome. And so uh, having a battle is not a unique thing. A- every single one of us is going to go through that in some form or fashion. And we, we uh, I, I briefly mentioned, we didn't get into it a ton, but I briefly mentioned this passage from 1 Timothy uh, chapter 6. It says, this is Paul writing to a young uh, pastor, uh, Timothy, and he says, but as for you, O man of God. And so this is not just um, for a guy that's going to be uh, a pastor. He's, he's um, training and instructing a young man that's been under his mentorship. And he, here's what he says. He says, flee these things. Now, if you want to look back in First uh, Timothy chapter, uh, chapter 6, verse 10 and above, you can see the long list of things uh, that he talks about, these worldly things that he talks about that Timothy needs to flee. Uh, but then he, get, he tells, so he tells him to flee these things. He says, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. And then I've got this italicized. It says, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. So where I want us to start is kind of just back in this concept of fighting a battle. And the question I want you to talk about, I want you to think about those, those three really important words that pop up in that instruction. He tells him to flee. So there's certain things that, uh, that he thinks are essential to flee. He tells him to pursue. There are certain things to pursue. Um, and then he says, fight, fight the good fight of faith. So those three instructions pop up. Uh, and I, what I want you to think about is, is those three words. What sorts of images form in your mind when you think of those words? And why do you think those words are used to instruct Timothy in being a man of God? Why, why would he use those words? He's talking to a man of God and trying to set him up for success. Why are those words, those three active words um, used. So comment on those words. Let's talk about kind of the nature of the battle. Answer that question. Again, that's First Timothy chapter uh, 6. I put the reference there for you if you, someone in your group wants to turn there. But take about seven minutes um, and talk through that question at your table. Go. Okay. I want to hear what you thought. The words flee, flee, pursue, fight. What, what kinds of things those words have in common? What did, you, what did you notice? What were some big takeaways? A couple of you, I'd love to hear what your tables thought. Do what? Action words are verbs. Action words. They're action words. That's right. And a little, little 
English lesson too. Thank you. Uh, yeah, there's all, I, I mean, that's a, that's a really good point. They're all action oriented. These aren't, none of these are passive words. Um, what does that, man, what does that tell us about, uh, what about being a man of God? What, is it a thing that can be done passively? Is it something that happens by accident? There it is. Yeah. No, no. All these are, all these are, are active uh, words. What else? That's good. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's right. That's good. And I think a lot of times, Ken, I don't know what, what your experience has been, but mine uh, certainly is a lot of times I think in, in church, we, mo- we, we, we don't typically talk about both of those things together. We're either only talking about what not to do, what to flee, or we're only talking about what, what to do and not how to identify the things that need to go away in order to, to fill that. And, and talking about both of those together is really important. That's a really good point. What else? Anybody else? Yeah. 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 That's right. That's right. He's talking about he's talking about a lifestyle here. That's good. A, a lifestyle of of fleeing certain things, pursuing others, and you know, the fight the good fight is is really talking about doing both of those. You know that to flee and to uh, pursue is there's tension between those two things. And so fighting the good fight requires for us to step into that tension, engage the battle, not be, not be passive in what we're fleeing or uh, what we're pursuing. So that's great. I mean, that's, that's good. I, I just think, um, again, the, the idea here is getting into our mind uh, and into our heart that the battle is not abnormal. The battle is part of the life that we've been called to live. And we don't, we don't go from, okay, I'm being okay. Now I'm going to step into the battle. It's a, it's a continual, uh, continual thing that we're in. So last week, if you want to jump back, you can, let me, uh, page three, uh, in your booklet, this was from week one, just real quick. We talked about identity. Uh, I want to just remind you, uh, really important, uh, a couple really important things here. We talked about how identity and, and the misunderstanding of who we are in Christ is the uh, oftentimes lies at the foundation of many of the fights that we're fighting. So if we don't know who we are in him, it can lead to uh, all sorts of different struggles in our life. So the beginning, if we're going to talk about uh, tearing down strongholds, the beginning of talking about tearing down strongholds is getting a firm foundation in who we are in Christ. And the first, this position standing is about belonging and then it moves out to uniqueness, who God has uniquely created us to be, and into uh, the places where he's called us. So it moves out. It moves from the interior out into the exterior. And we talked about how it goes the opposite way in the world, right? What the world wants to do is take our situations, circumstances, our vocation, whatever it is, and form us from the outside in. We are what has happened to us. We are our achievements, or we are our failures, or we are circumstances, whatever it is. And that, and that, that opposite formation the formation that happens from um, our circumstances to the inside is the way that lies 
um, can get built into our heart and can lead to all sorts of different strongholds. So it's crucial for us to understand that the beginning of the battle is knowing who we are in Christ. So um, great at some point, if you want to go back and review uh, some of those passages, I left you last week with a uh, with a question called the central integration question. And it was just a way of, of starting to reflect on who God has created and called you to be. It was just a beginning point. And I hope that you were able to spend some time with the question, even if you didn't get to write it down, um, you were able to think about it maybe a little bit. But I wanna just take, this will be a shorter discussion time. I wanna take three or four minutes. And if you thought about it at all, um, at all, even if it was five minutes after you walked out of here, what did you think? <laughs> all right, that's what I want you to know. Maybe you spent time with it. Maybe you processed it. Maybe it was really easy. Maybe for you, it was easy to write down and you wrote it down. Maybe it was hard. Um, but I just want you to kind of talk about the nature of the question and how the question hit you. And then I want you to answer this. Um, why do we think it's important to reflect on a question like this every so often? Again, this is a question that's trying to bring out our understanding of who God has created us and called us to be. Why is that important for us to do? So take uh, four minutes or so uh, and work through that question on the screen there uh, as a table. Okay. Well, here's, here's what I would say. Again, if, if you got to spend some time with that, great. If it, just because uh, you haven't maybe finished it, that's okay. This is, this is something that takes some time and some thought. Uh, and some reflection. Here, here's what I would say. Keep it in front of you. Uh, it's something that I'm trying to just as a spiritual discipline. It's a question that I'm trying to answer every year. I just come back to this every year because it's, it really is amazing. I don't know if your experience is anything like mine. It's amazing how quickly we can disconnect from just the simplicity of who God says that we are and who he's called us to be. It's amazing how the, the, the workaday worlds that we're in, the, the situations that we face, the challenges that we face can kind of uh, get us to uh, move away from who God's called us to be. And so I, just, I think it's a good discipline for us to come back and sit down and take a deep breath and go, okay, God, what do you say about me and what have you called me to? And, and are the things that I'm paying attention to or the things that I'm putting energy and effort into do they align with, with who you've called me uh, to be? So uh, hang on to that question. Again, I'd like to do it every year, um, but, uh, but hopefully that's helpful for you as you start to process who uh, God says that you are and who, who, uh, how he's uniquely created you. I want to jump into week two, so go ahead and go to page eight. Uh, page eight, and what we're going to do um, is, in order to uh, understand how to battle strongholds, which is, think about it like this. Um, if, if, you've got a, uh, if you've got something wrong with your vehicle, uh, what happens? The check engine light comes on, right? And that, that, that's, a, that's never a good thing when your check engine light's on. And so uh, what it means is something's wrong. But you want to know what you have to know in order to figure out what's wrong? You have to know how it's supposed to work. That's where people like me get in trouble. That's why I have to drive down the road and take it to the person that knows how it's supposed to work, because I don't know how it's supposed to work. I just know something's Wrong, but I think um, that as we're as we're talking about strongholds, it's very much the same thing. Most of us know that the check engine lights on when we're facing something difficult, uh, or when we're stuck in uh, sin. If it's if it's something like that, we we know that the check engine light is on, but diagnosing the problem becomes difficult because I think a lot of times we don't quite understand 
wait a minute, how am I supposed to function? How has God created me to actually live in relationship with him to even know what's going wrong? Um, So what we're going to do today is we're going to talk about the way that the machine was built. How are human beings built to uh, relate to God? How are we built to walk in relationship with him, um, to live into the human vocation of being stewards um, on the earth, bringing God's wisdom and justice into the world? How are we supposed to actually do that? And if that's how it's supposed to work, then it will help us kind of discover how it can go wrong. Because we all know that it can go wrong, but we need to understand how it's supposed to work first. So you've got a little fill in the blank, I think. Your page eight, right? Should be a little fill in the blank. Looks like this. Am I right? Is that good? Okay, good, good, good. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to work through, uh, work through this, uh, this little uh, diagram here. It's called Apprenticeship to Jesus Diagram. This is how do, we, how, how do we live as a student of Jesus? How was it supposed to, uh, supposed to be? So the first thing I want to understand in Genesis chapter 2, if you, will, uh, if you read that account in Genesis uh, 2 where God creates uh, humanity, what you're going to see is you're going to see three uh, distinct parts. So your first three bank blanks there are body, soul, and spirit. Now I want to make a note here because there's a few different words that get used in the scriptures, but our body is our physical nature. It says that Adam was formed of the dust of the ground, right? So Adam had a physical form. Our soul is our mind and our will and our emotions. So our soul, this is where we think and where we feel and where we choose, okay? And I think you might've had this in your show up in your Sunday school uh, over the last couple of weeks, maybe, maybe not, Mark. Yeah, I thought we, okay, yeah, all right. A little amen from our Sunday school, okay. So this is where you think and where you feel and where you choose. This is where a lot of your uniqueness lies, is in, is in the soul. Now that last word, spirit, there is, uh, is talking about uh, the human spirit. So we're not talking about the Holy Spirit. We're going to get there in just a second. But that word spirit is just talking about the deepest part of who we are, our innermost being. This is the thing that distinguishes humanity from the rest of creation. And what this is talking about is this is talking about uh, that God, you know, when God makes Adam, he forms him of the dust of the ground. And it says that he breathed into his nostrils, the breath, that word breath is the, is the Hebrew word for spirit. So he breathed into Adam's being his own spirit and Adam became alive. He became a unique person in that moment where God's spirit filled him. So we are, you've heard maybe that it's said that we're spiritual creatures. Well, what that means is that God has created us with the capacity to have a relationship with him. God is spirit. Those who worship him will worship him in spirit and truth. And so we are made specifically on on purpose. This thing is built for us to be able to have personal relationship with God. God. It's crucial for us to understand uh, that that's how we were, uh, we were created. Now, what you'll see in the scriptures, and what little, just a little uh, distinction I want to make here. A lot of times you'll see those two things grouped together, and you'll see this word flesh that will show up. You'll see the word, and my handwriting may get bad here, but human nature show up. And so when, when the Bible groups those two, it talks about our carnality or our flesh or our human nature. It's, it's talking about um, the part of us that can be and is separate from God in sin. 
So before we come to, and have a relationship with, with God through Jesus, where we put our faith in him, we are, uh, you, you heard maybe in Sunday school, where people would say um, that there's a, there's a God-shaped hole in your heart, right? You maybe heard that corny little phrase, right? It, and it's, it's talking about the fact that you were made for relationship with him, but because of sin, that relationship is absent. And so when we come to Christ and we're filled with the spirit, then we, that's where uh, God literally by the presence and power of his Holy Spirit comes and dwells in our inmost being to have relationship with us. Right. And so that's what, that's the way that we were, that we were made uh, in, in those three parts. Okay. So you got that. Um, Let's see here. Okay. The next uh, thing I want to talk about is you can see there uh, all three elements um, of the Trinity, right? You see Father, and you see Son, and you see Spirit. Now, a lot of times when we're, especially when we're talking to youngsters, we say, you know, Jesus is going to come live in your heart. It's not actually true. The Bible tells us that Jesus is uh, before the throne of God making intercession for us, but it's the it's the Holy Spirit that comes and lives in us. And so our personal relationship with God is by relationship with the person of the Holy Spirit. Again, it's a, it's a personal relationship. So you can see there those arrows uh, that go back and forth between blue, which represents our spirit and God's spirit. You can see the, the elements there, speaking, listening, knowing, being known. It's a description of a personal relationship. That's the kind of activity that you would have with somebody that you might call your friend, right? You would speak to them, you would listen, they would know you, you would know them. It's a description of a personal uh, relationship. And what God intends for us is that when, when we are in fellowship with him, okay, when, when that, those arrows back and forth, that speaking, listening, knowing, and being known, when that is taking place, then you see these arrows here that are going from spirit and blue to soul. Then the idea here and what God is doing is that as we trust him, the word that Jesus uses is abide. If you go to John chapter 15, and I'll actually, let's do that. Let's go there. We've got some time. Let's go to John 15. I just, well, let me read this uh, to you from verse uh, five. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So the bearing of fruit is connected to abiding in Jesus. What does abiding mean? Well, it, just real quick, you're all abiding in your chairs right now. You are trusting that chair to do what it is advertised that it would do, right? Which is hold your weight. Uh, none of you are really thinking about it. You are actively trusting it, but it's not something that you're consciously, you know, over and over and over again saying, okay, trust the chair, trust the chair. Unless you've had a bad experience here. Um, and I hope that's not true. But, um, <laughs> but the point is that that chair is built to hold you. You are trusting the, your weight into that chair. So as we abide, as we trust in him, you see that word uh, abide uh, goes into that relationship that we have with the Holy Spirit. You see that bottom arrow uh, moving across here. Hopefully you can kind of see that. What God is doing as we trust him, 
He is transforming us. So that other arrow that goes from spirit to soul is the result of our personal relationship with God. What God is doing is he is changing who we are. Anybody different today than when they first came to Christ? Anybody think differently? Anybody see the world differently? Anybody's actions and values maybe changed? Well, that's, that's because what God is doing and the whole point, the shaping that's happened in our life, the, we call it transformation, is that God, by the power of his spirit, is bringing us and our character, the way we think, the way we choose, the way we feel, he's bringing us into alignment with the person of Jesus. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing, is he is transforming us and changing us. But that process only happens as we allow it. So that, that abiding and that transformation, that circle is this ongoing process that we are submitting to God. Romans chapter 12, verse one tells us that our act of worship is laying our whole selves down before him. And that as we do that, he is transforming us. Uh, and, and so that's how it's meant. So now if you'll go to the, uh, if you'll fill in these next two blanks in the top right-hand corner, the idea is that as we are changed on the inside. As our character begins to align with that of Jesus, we start to think and process according to God's word. Then what you can see happens is, and th- these, these two arrows come from soul and body there. It's a, it's a, it's a way of talking about just us. We're, we're thinking and acting. Our body, our physical nature, the way we act in the world follows with obedience, Right? We're being obedient to, we're acting in alignment with the way that God has shaped us and changed us in character. You guys tracking this? So our, the way that we live in the world, and this is why James says that faith without works is dead. Because what he's saying here is that if this process, if you want, you can, you can understand this process here as kind of the, this process of faith. And what he's saying is that the intent of that whole thing, if I submit to the Lord and he transforms me and then that doesn't lead to me living and acting in the world differently, then what James is saying is, well, then did that really ever happen in the first place? It's dead, it's useless. If that process, that internal process of transformation doesn't lead to us living and acting in the world in a new way, then there's reason to question whether that was really going on in the first place. And then you can see that last blank there, the word glorify. Who does, when we, when we act out of that transformation, we act, when we act, if we simplify this, when we act in a Christ-like way, who does that glorify? Yeah, it glorifies, you see this, you can see this arrow goes right back to him. And so, the, so this, is, this is how you were built to operate. You, you were built to operate from a personal relationship with God through the presence of his spirit that lives in you. And as a result of that, as a result of that relationship, he is taking what you were, which was a slave to sin, a broken thinking, broken way of acting. And he's taking that and he is making it new. It means he is transforming us, changing the way we see, the way we think, the way we live in the world 
so that our actions align with his character and that our actions glorify him. That's the way the vehicle was meant to function. There's a real quick way of talking about that. But I think a lot of times we disconnect relationship with God from the way we live and act in the world. We see those as separate things. We go, oh, it's nice. That's cute that we get to have a relationship with God. And he lives in my heart. We say cliche things like that. But I'm not sure that we really grasp the fact that it's actually that relationship and only through that relationship abiding in him that we actually live our lives in a way that glorifies him. Those two things have to go together. Living a life of faith, that's why the Bible says that that which is not of faith is sin because living a life of faith, trusting him and him transforming us so that we act differently is the only way in which we glorify him, okay? So I know it's a ton of information coming at you right now, but I wanna talk a little bit about faith. Faith, I, I love this quote. This is Dallas Willard. You guys know I'm a huge Dallas Willard fan, but faith is not a wild and desperate leap. Faith is confidence grounded in reality. What kind of reality? Well, the kind of reality that we get to know, the reality of the kingdom of God, because we have a relationship with him, okay? He says, it is as Hebrews 11.1 1 says, faith is substance and evidence or proof, not as some translations usually have it, subjective psychological states such as being sure of or having a conviction of. To have faith in God is to trust him, to have confidence in him. I want you to talk in your groups a little bit. And if you want to go back, if you want to kind of hang out on this diagram that we just did, I want you to talk a little bit about the relationship between living by faith, which again is, um, let me go back here. No, stop going back. Oh my goodness. There it is right here. This, this deal right here, this process that happens by relationship. I want you to talk about the relationship uh, between living by faith and our personal relationship with God. Why are those two things bound together? Living by faith and having a personal relationship with God. Why are those two things, how are those uh, bound together? Why is it that we seem to neglect relationship with God and only try and produce good things? And how, how is it that we uh, have separated those and, and what does it look like maybe to bring them back together? So d just discuss the nature of that relationship a little bit. I've maybe not asked a great question there, uh, but uh, I'll leave you to it. Okay, why don't you take about four minutes there? Go. Okay. Let's look back. Let's look back at this and, and talk about it a little bit. I'm curious, uh, just kind of a, a, a final picture to kind of wrap this, this piece up. And again, I know it's been a lot. Uh, this is getting us to where we're going in strongholds. And there's, there's tons of information in your book to help kind of go back and process uh, some of this. But as I was, as I was writing this, I, 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 uh, and I, it's been amazing how much I've learned um, about God and, through being a father and just, just seen things a different, a different way. Um, but, you know, I, as I was writing this and thinking about this relationship and thinking about the connection between faith and a, and a personal relationship, 
that leads to me living and acting in a different way. I thought of my kids. Now, this does not apply to teenagers, uh, so, and you'll know why here in just a second. Um, but, but teenagers, well, not teenagers, kids, at least at, least at this point, um, I'm, we're, we're getting close. We're inching close to those teenage years. But um, at this point, my kids uh, exercise a tremendous level of faith in uh, their mom and dad every day. We say to, to uh, okay, uh, don't do that. Get off of the top of the roof. Like things we've actually said. Um, you know, uh, they, they, they do that. They, they follow commands for the most part. They follow uh, commands. And they're exercising, by following those commands, they're exercising a certain amount of faith in my, in my word. What they're not doing when, that, when we say, okay, get in the car and buckle your seatbelts is they're not, they're not in that moment thinking, okay, let's think about what is a seatbelt and how does it function? And in a scenario where we were to be in a car accident, if we, you know, I really, really, really hope that the way this functions is, is going to actually save my, they're not processing like that. And why is that? Because their obedience is not based on theory. It's not based on this blind leap faith that's, that's in a set of facts, right? Their obedience to me in that moment, and I hope this is making sense. It makes sense in my head. Their obedience to me in that moment is based on our relationship, not based on the, the, the facts about a seatbelt or how safe it is for them to be up high or down low, whatever. They're not thinking that way. Their obedience is based on relationship because they know me and they know that what I'm going to say is best for them. And so they follow their, their obedience, their works glorify me and track with me, meaning that they fall in line to what I've said. They've exercised a certain amount of faith, but that faith has been enabled by relationship. You see, but we don't, we don't live that way. Most of the time in our Christian life, and I think men, we especially do this because we want to know the, we want to know the rules. We want to know the objective. We want to know the task and we want to get it done. And that's, that's kind of the way that we work. And so we, God, just tell us what we're supposed to do. Just tell us th the rules. And we find though that, that is, that's a difficult way to live. And it's because a lot of times what we're doing is we're trying to live a Christian life without in any way developing habits and disciplines and routines that uh, ground us in a relationship with God that actually enables that faith. You with me? So we're... We're, so for us then, faith becomes this desperate leap. I hope it works. It becomes theory rather than obedience grounded in relationship. And I think a lot of times, especially, especially when we get into trouble, especially when we get into strongholds, what we try to do is we try to figure out how to get out of it. And all of that is going to end up based on, if you're anything like me, ends up based on my ability, my talent, my strength, my courage, my power, my creativity. How do I get myself out of this mess? And I might pray a little bit along the way, but the point is, it's me trying to get me out of a problem that I got me into. You with me? Rather, the focus of our life being on relationship with God in such a way that when we get into a mess, there is relationship there to walk us through. 
And that's what, that's what we're trying to, to, to uh, set this as, that's why we're trying to set this as the normal. Because I want to show you, this is how we were built to operate. It, 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 you have got to, as men of God, fleeing and pursuing, have everything uh, to do with a relationship with God, a personal relationship with him. And the daily habits and disciplines and routines of our life ought to be aimed at that relationship. Um, and that's the way we're supposed to operate. So how is it that we get into trouble? Let's go to... Uh, let's go to page 10. Where do we get into trouble? Well, how many of you know we've got an adversary? <laughs> There's an enemy. I want you to go to Ephesians chapter two. Ephesians chapter two. We're gonna try to diagram. This is gonna be a big picture view. And then next week, we're gonna get into a real, uh, real narrow view of strongholds. But Ephesians chapter two. And somebody read verse one through three for me. Somebody grab that. You were dead in your trespasses and sin in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedience. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and the thoughts and the thoughts. Uh, and we were by nature Okay, so what do, you, what do you see there? There's, there's kind of three elements working um, in cohesion there that we were once a slave to, but are still at work in the world. And what are those three elements? You can see that listed on the diagram there in, in page 10. You've got the world, the flesh, and the devil, okay? And it's all mixed up, okay? The, the world, we're talking about the patterns of the world, the way of the world. It's a way of speaking uh, of, of human systems, the way that human, uh, humans apart from God uh, do things. It's a way of talking about uh, culture, ways of thinking. Um, the flesh, what's the flesh talking about? It's talking about our carnality. It's, this is turning, the flesh is turning inward. Our passions and our desires, the things uh, that we are attracted uh, to, that, that internally, the things that we are attracted uh, to. And then the devil. And so the Bible takes really, 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 really seriously uh, the fact that uh, that the power uh, of, of darkness is real and that dark uh, and evil powers um, have enslaved humanity as, as humanity forfeited their proper place in Genesis chapter three and they worship themselves that literally what they did in that moment is they gave their God-given authority over to dark and evil powers and became enslaved uh, to them. So those three things, Ephesians chapter two brings all, uh, verse one through three there, brings all those into cohesion and says that that's what we were enslaved to. Apart from Christ, that's what we were enslaved to. The mixture, the deadly mixture of all three of those things working uh, together. And just because you've been saved does not mean that any of those things go away. Anybody still have a flesh in the room? Yeah, just me. Okay, a few of you. All right, good. Anybody still live in the world? <laughs> yeah, okay, all of us, right? And, and anybody know that there are dark uh, and evil powers that are uh, all in and influencing the things that we see and don't see, right? So we still live in that environment. So how is it that we get trapped? If we know how the machine is supposed to work, how is it that we get trapped? Well, here's a really simple overview of how it works, okay? You can see there on the far right-hand side, you can see the world, the flesh, and 
the devil. Now go to Romans chapter 12. Super, this is, this is a profound statement as it relates to spiritual formation. But here's what it says. Verse two, do not be, and what's the word? This is an important word. Conformed to this world. Now we're gonna go on to the next part, but do not be conformed to this world. What does that mean? That means that the, that the world's powers, Ephesians 2 tells us that the, the, the world, the flesh and the devil are pushing against us in a way that would seek to conform us to its reality. You with me, right? The point is that you and I live in a pressurized environment where every day, all the time, those three forces are leaning against us so that we would be conformed to the patterns of the world. Now, what does that conformity look like? Well, James talks about being uh, luring uh, and enticed by our own desires. You can see that there. He talks about that in James uh, chapter one, as it relates to temptation, that the world and the flesh and the devil are enticing to our flesh and tr attempt to lure us uh, into uh, sin. But that pressure, you can see that pressure, that arrow, where is that pointed to? Where's that arrow right there of conformity is pointed to where? Our soul. Now notice that the, the, that arrow is pointed right to our soul, which is the exact same place that that faith arrow ends up, isn't it? You with me? You seeing that on the left-hand side? The exact same place that that faith arrow ends up is the soul. And that's the same place that that pressure to conform, that arrow lines up. The, the, the simplest way to say this is that this is a battle. The battle that we're talking about here is a battle for the way that you're gonna think. The battleground is about the way that you are going to think. The Bible says that the way that we think is the way that we are going to see the world. The way that we're gonna take in information and the way that we're gonna live in the world is all related to the way that we think. And so the world, the flesh and the devil are leaning on us to conform our thinking to worldly fleshly and demonic standards. And the spirit of God, if we will allow him to, is conforming and changing and transforming our thinking to be like Jesus. So how do strongholds develop? Strongholds develop right there. Let me see if I can erase some of this. Strongholds develop right here. You see it? Can, that, can you see that star? Strongholds develop right there. When we take in and are influenced and are conformed by the lies of the world, by our own fleshly desires, when we take those things in, and James says they find a home. He uses the, he actually uses the analogy um, uh, of, uh, of sexual intimacy and says that once that temptation, once that lie has attracted us and we have now brought it into ourselves and it finds a home, that, that lie that comes from not 
the Holy Spirit, not God's word, but comes from the world, the flesh and the devil. Once that finds a place to live in our uh, inmost being, in our mind, then what it does is that it bears the fruit. And again, he uses the, he uses the analogy of, of giving birth. It bears the fruit of sin and death. So the idea there, you can see that arrow and it's going in the opposite way of this obedience works, glorifying God arrow. Because what's happened? Because we have believed and been conformed to the patterns of the world. Our thinking has been shaped and changed in alignment with the patterns of the world. And now guess what? We're going to act in the world based on the way that we think. You tracking? Is this making sense? So the battle is about truth and lies. The battle is about truth and lies. The battle is literally going to come down to where does your information come from? And if your information, if your thinking has been formed by the world of flesh and the devil, what you're going to find is you're going to act in alignment with those broken patterns of thinking. This is a stupid example, but I use it all the time. I think it helps make sense. If that you were to be convinced in this room that you were a canine, 100% convinced, if your mind were to be changed that you were a canine, you would act differently. I could roll a ball across the room and you might be interested in chasing it, right? Right? The point is we live in alignment to the way that we think. The battle is about our, our mind. Will we be transformed by God's spirit or will we be conformed to the patterns of the world? And our strongholds, the things that we're fighting against are rooted in the conformity of our mind to the world, the flesh, and the devil. And so breaking down strongholds is not about trying really hard in our, this is what we always go to. That's where we always go to first. Stop doing that. No, stop thinking that way. And when you stop thinking that way, then you'll find that, and I'm not saying this is easy, but you'll find that the way that you live is going to start to shift and change along with a new way of thinking, okay? So that's how strongholds can get in. So what we're looking for when we're, if you're fighting something right now and you could name it, I'm speaking generally, we're all probably fighting different things. Some are fighting the same things in the room this morning uh, or this, this afternoon, evening, wherever we are, it's almost time. Um, but the point is that everyone in this room can take that stronghold and what we're gonna be able to do is we're gonna be able to trace it all the way back to a broken way of thinking. And I don't know how that broken way of thinking got in there. And that's not necessarily the point. But the point is, can we identify that lie, that broken way of thinking that sits at the core of our broken way of living? And can we identify that lie so that we can remove it and have that lie transformed into what? The truth. And then you will know the truth. See the word know? And the truth will set you free. But how do we know the truth? Truth isn't a set of facts. Truth's a person. All the way back to relationship. 
all the way back to relationship, that the source of our freedom is relationship with God that changes the way we live and th- or that changes the way we think and see the world that sets us free, okay? So it's heavy. There's a lot there. That's, a, um, that's an overview. Next week, what we're gonna get into is how routine, because most of us, we don't call a stronghold something that's happened once. <laughs> most of us just have times, and I wrote this, times a thousand, right? It's like a stronghold is something we've built over time. Uh, and so we're gonna talk about how that repetitive pattern further entrenches us. We're gonna look at David and Goliath uh, and that whole uh, story because there's some really powerful understanding there about how a repeated submission to a lie entrenches us in our, in our strongholds, okay? So um, your homework's a little heavier this week, all right? A little heavier, okay? So if you dare, <laughs> jump into the homework this week. Uh, go to page 11, page 11. And it says, take some time and think about uh, strongholds, which may be present in your life. Are you able to identify any lies that lie at the foundation of those strongholds? I'll give you, I'll give you a, a couple for me just to maybe help uh, give you a jumping off point. Um, when, I was, when I was in my uh, early 20s, uh, my whole ministry world, uh, my whole work world uh, was based on impersonation. <laughs> I would look at whoever was successful, whoever was, was, was popular, whoever was like the cool preacher at the time. I know you're like completely lame, but that's what I would do is I'd see cool preachers on YouTube or whatever. And you're like, oh, stupid. But anyway, as I do, like that was, that was, man, that was my craft. And so I would look out into the world and see who was the one that was the, who was doing good. And then I would try to, to do what they were doing. I would try to just, okay, well, if he talks like that, if he walks around the stage like that, if he, you know, whatever, I would just, I mean, it sounds ridiculous, but that's what I, I mean, that's what I would do. I didn't even realize I was doing it, but I'm just, I'm just trying to pattern myself after whatever I'm seeing is getting approval. Um, and, you know, how deeply satisfying was that? It was exhausting. It was exhausting. And you know what? I was never satisfied after I would, if, if I would preach, or if I would lead, I, it was, I would always walk away from a ministry event just broken, not satisfied, not enjoying. And there's no joy in it. I was exhausted. And it's like, okay, well, what are you doing wrong? You know, man, guys, I really, really, really struggle. You know, the lie that was sitting, uh, sitting down uh, underneath all of that, uh, was, was the lie that who God had created and called me to be wasn't ultimately going to be accepted by others. That's sitting right down in the, in the base of my heart, lodged up in my mind that, that the person that God's uniquely called Kendall to be is not, not ultimately going to be enough. When I believe that, now you can see why, now you can see why this goober's watching preacher YouTube videos, right? Because because I've got to become something else because what I am is not going to ultimately be accepted or, or good enough. And so I've got to become something else. So I literally was acting in a way, you can see my, now my actions were in alignment with that lie that I believed. And so freedom for me had to come with a, through a personal encounter with God, a relational moment with God, where I had to talk to God about who he called me to be. 
I had to listen to God's voice and, and hear him talk to me about the uniqueness of who he'd called me to be and, and be okay with that. And it wasn't overnight. It's a process of me going, okay, all right. If, if that's who you call me to be, if that's who you've created me, if this is who I'm gonna be, then I'm gonna, li- I'm gonna live into that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna embrace that. I'm not gonna try to, and I'm telling you, that's a, that's a battle. That's a hard thing. But you see the point there that the way I was acting was connected to a broken way of thinking. I'd believe the lie that I wasn't acceptable the way that God had created and called me. So I became something else, right? And so we could, that's an example. And I can give you other examples from my life. Believe me, there's plenty of strongholds, all right? We could go for a while. But what I want you to do is I want you to think about that for you. And I don't want you to make a list of all the, all the bad behaving things you do, okay? Don't start there, please. You already know those things, okay? But what I want you to do is I want you to think more critically about them. And I want you to ask God, spend time in prayer and go, God, this is the stronghold. Name it, that's fine. This is where I'm struggling. But what way of thinking sits underneath there? What, what broken way of thinking sits underneath that stronghold? That's where I really want you to spend some time. Um, and uh, and I, I hope that that's helpful and, and fruitful. And then we're gonna get into, uh, in the next two weeks, we're gonna detail it out a little bit more. And then we're gonna talk about freedom. We're gonna talk about how that, that truth substituted for a lie. How does that really work? Okay. So um, hope that's helpful. Um, During the week, if you need uh, to chat or whatever, want to talk, ask questions, don't hesitate to reach out to me. Again, I said this last week, uh, guys, these kinds of conversations, the kind of conversations you just had, what we call that here is community groups. And it's literally just people taking seriously, gathering uh, with other men for the purpose of spiritual formation. Period. That's all it is. And we want to help you do that. If you're in a community group, great. If you're looking to start one, don't even know what that means, but, but this kind of conversation is important to you. Um, I want you to talk to Matt. Matt can get you uh, set up and get you, get, talk to you about what community groups are, but we need to take seriously doing this together. Okay. Cause I want to tell you that that story I just shared with you, one of the ways that I encountered the truth was through the voice of other men in my life helping me walk through that and discover what that lie was and talk to me about the truth. I didn't do it in a silo and in a box, okay? It was relational. Um, So talk to Matt if you want to learn more about community groups. Don, I'm going to put you on the spot. Do you mind praying for us tonight? Go ahead.